Hi, Eddie here. Red and I have used Zencaster to record all of our episodes of Punk Rock Elite because it's easy, browser-based, and it gives us separate tracks that are easy for me to edit. It can also be used for 4K video too. Maybe we'll try that one day. It's really easy to use. It can do a lot of the editing for you, clipping out your ums and ahs, and adding an EQ to bring out the best in your voice, all from a single website. If you want to make a podcast but aren't sure how to go about it, then Zencaster provides everything you need to record, edit and distribute your new show to Spotify, Apple and a ton of other places that people get their podcasts. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our code PUNKROCKELITE and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience as I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Punk Rock Elite, a podcast about no effects. And they said we couldn't do it. They said we wouldn't be back, but we are back. Punk Rock Elite Podcast. I'm Eddie French. I'm Red Redmond. And we are back and doing a brand new episode today. How are you doing, Red? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm okay. I'm immediately going to apologize for what might be a different sound coming from my bit of the podcast because I'm I'm in new area. I think that you are doing that I think it's it's one of my favorite tropes of podcasters where <laughs> the the podcaster apologizes for the quality of their sound but I can't really tell uh, any drop in quality of sound. I, you, a lot of people do it. They're like, "Oh, I'm in a hotel room so this will probably be shit." And you're like, oh, "It just sounds like normal." Yeah, I know, but <laughs> The thing is, is that the moment they don't do that, people yeah. will be like, what was up with that last episode? It sounded like you were in a hotel room or something. And I don't want, <laughs> yeah. and I, I want to avoid that. So, You're um, so right. <laughs> yeah. So basically outside the window of the room I normally record this in, uh, the place that I live, uh, the next door neighbors decided that, uh, they decided fuck trees. So wow. they hired people specifically on the day and the hour that we record. Interesting. To yeah, I know. I mean, I have seen them, right? And they are big Blink One Eight Two fans. Right. So yeah. No, it all makes sense. That's it. I uh, I saw them the other day. Uh, they were hanging out their laundry, and they saw a pair of their own underwear and laughed. <laughs> so I could tell they were Blink One Eight Two fans. Um, <laughs> we've we've been thwarted by Big DeLong. <laughs> oh, that's what he calls himself when he fucks, isn't it? <laughs> What's really funny is that uh, Tom DeLong, right? And that's a funny name if you're in a... It's a, a really funny name. It's a funny name, especially if you're in a, a knob gag band. Like 10 out of 10, it's like nominative <laughs> determinism, isn't it? Why hasn't he done anything with Trey Cool? You know, like, I'm sure there's another punk with like a silly French name. Oh, what's the... I know, but Trey Cool's not his real name. What was... Yeah, but what's the real name of the guy from Leftover Crack? Oh, Francois Sherpatol. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of French names going on, isn't there? There's something, yeah. Yeah, yeah they should set up a, a, a gig in like Quebec or something where they can all yeah. be in their, in their native French. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, do listen to our uh, guest appearance on the Midlife Punk podcast where we discussed uh, Give Them the Boot to the Hellcat uh, compilation for more. Oh, I forgot that Francois Sherpatone isn't a part of punk rock elite law, but is rather a part of midlife elite. Not no midlife. Um... Midlife elite one day, but yeah, midlife uh, midlife <laughs> punk podcast. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, no, we're, we're we're but we're sort of part of that law as well. So that's if you want to get if you want to experience the full um, punk universe, I'll think of something sure. better. Yeah, yeah no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, uh, then uh, then you can uh, you can find us uh, over there as well, which is well worth doing. But yeah, so basically um, the, the punk CU. Yeah, the uh, absolutely, and uh, the uh, and so yeah. So my next door neighbours, the Blink fans. Um, oh yeah, that was what I was going to say. Blink One Eight Two, right? Is Tom DeLong? You know mm. the name of the main guy in A Clockwork Orange is Alex Delage. Oh okay, that's his surname. I don't think it's given in the film, but in the book. Um, I think it's mentioned at least once. So there's DeLong and DeLarge. So it's, you know, what do you and want? Length or girth? It's... Is DeLong his birth name? Uh, or is it a stage name? And is he a, a clockwork fan? It'd be really weird. I mean, come on. The pop punk trio that a clockwork orange fans is Alkaline Trio, isn't it? That's not Blink, mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. Blink 182... You know, they probably find the Goonies a bit frightening. So, <laughs> whereas whereas you know that Alkaline Trio stay up all night just watching the most unpleasant spatter horror, and then interspersed with like a Fellini film as well for the chin stroking. Yeah, quotient. sure. Yeah, um, yeah. We're we're coming back. I'm glad. To, I'm glad I'm bringing back my uh, head cannon for all punk bands now. That's <laughs> <laughs> I've missed doing that. Um, so yeah. So that's why I'm a bit different because, uh, yeah, the Blink fans next door are chopping down trees, and so I'm uh, I've borrowed my dad's uh, office room, so I'm borrowing his acoustics and, in fact, his microphone and um, interface uh, setup. So Ooh. there we are. Yeah, but but what are we doing on today's episode, Eddie? Today's episode, uh, we're doing some cokey. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna rack up some lines of cokey. Yep. And uh, and snort them directly into our tear ducts as we sob gently um, for a while. This is um, not Koki the Clown, the EP, which we've already no. covered. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feature the song Koki the Clown. This is uh, essentially a solo Fat Mike project. What, you mean like the last two No Effects albums? Potentially, there's room for that discussion. But this is... Yeah, absolutely. This is, is yeah. actively a solo album. Um, not it does. It, it's under Koki the Clown, so I don't know if it's a character album because well, we'll get into all of that. Yeah, we will absolutely get into it. But uh, yes, because we thought uh, well, we've run out of official No Effects full length releases. We've only got a couple of little songs here and there to cover elsewhere, which we'll probably find all of them and then do them in one episode or yeah. uh, what have you. So yeah, that's uh, that's what this is. Uh, let's let's go straight into it. I think we'll uh, we'll discuss it because I've got things to say about this. I don't know about you. I've got things to say about this, and what what I would say as well is, if you're like a no a, like a no effects diehard fan, which you know I, I don't know why else you would be listening to the podcast, yeah. but like 
some really interesting stuff here for you know because if, if you're anything like me you're like oh i'm gonna listen to the no effect stuff oh what's this side album koki the clown oh, i'm not gonna fucking listen to that shit but there's actually some really interesting stuff here like if you are big into no effects i would definitely recommend giving this album a listen absolutely so uh if you've gone away and listened to it mm. and i don't know why you'd give this maybe maybe some some people like uh just hearing people talk about films that they've not watched or games they've not played and stuff maybe this is the same absolutely it's Could very be. hard to give away oh, no it's not actually hard to give away stuff on this one. let's we'll see you on the other side of the sting <laughs> and we're here talking about it properly now so koki the clown Let's start as we mean to go on. Mm. Koki the Clown was released in 2019. Um, okay. Taking all the info from Discogs, because there is no Wikipedia page for it. Released on Fat, unsurprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are a couple of music videos, or at least one. There was one for Fair Leather Friends, uh, but they were sort of DIY ones, mainly filmed on Mike's grounds. Uh, around his house. Oh, okay, sure. Um, it's uh, yeah. Obviously, it's Discog, so it's less interested in telling me who did what and more that you can get it on spatter color vinyl. It's really good to let know the vinyls are like, all different colors. Like brilliant Discogs, thank you. Um, <laughs> fucking nerd site. Anyway, um, it says the genre is rock. Which I think is a very broad term. But yeah, so we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It should be ten tracks, I think. It is ten tracks. Ten tracks. Um, we have got Fat Mike uh, wrote the lyrics, uh, the music, uh, sings. He sings backups. He plays electric guitar. He plays bass. He plays acoustic guitar, I think. Uh, John Carey from Old Man Markley does mm-hmm. backing vocals on it. I imagine he probably play. It's not. It's a fairly incomplete who's who yeah, on but which it, which does happen with no effects generally we found True. particularly on their more recent releases like that they don't correctly credit everyone on the album yeah um but also i think it i think because this is sort of um just done by this could be done from the liner notes but there's definitely like a, a female backing singer at one point who i thought sounded a bit like karina Danike. have a drink everyone <laughs> um, but it could equally be somebody else because they were mixed quite uh, quite sort of well in that you couldn't they didn't stick out. Uh, yes. Tra- Travis Barker from Blink One Eight Two, who we mentioned, um, he plays the drums on this album. Oh, okay, yeah. interesting. And uh, Baz from uh, the Orchestral Decline and uh, Associated Fat Mike project he uh, did a lot of the arranging so all of the nice the strings and stuff and there's some very nice strings oh there's a uh, Alyssa rose is credited as violin uh danny lona is credited as a uh, producer he was a uh, guitarist and keyboardist from nine inch nails oh okay yeah there's a french horn uh andrea brackets heidi trefethin that's a good name. Trefethin, um, playing the French horn. Jess Ivory, playing cello, and um, that kind of thing there. So the cover is sort of like a circus-style poster with Koki the Clown on it, and then mm-hmm. uh, Fat Mike in character as Koki the Clown hanging himself. 
we don't normally do trigger warnings and stuff, but we, it might be a good idea to include one on this episode, to be honest, because there's a, a lot. There, There is a lot of, you know, themes of death, suicide, um, particularly like the, the, the death of close relatives. Yep, there's relatives, there's uh, friends, there's attempted suicide, there's... Assisted suicide. Assisted suicide. Most forms of suicide... Yeah, I mean, I've described this album as general, like it's kind of like uh, it's NoFX's funeral march. Sort of. I mean, yeah, I think it sort of is. Um, this is a... There's a couple of celebratory songs. There are. But yeah. even the celebratory ones are very bittersweet. Mm, yeah. So I what- think it... I, I, I've... Um, I've had a really interesting experience listening to this album because I think there's some serious highs and lows. And I would, I think that this album has some of the the best writing that Mike has ever done, but I also think it has some of the worst. <laughs> it's and, and that makes yeah. for an interesting listen. No, absolutely. And to be honest, I think that's, um, that's, that's very exciting. I do have a slight story about this. Oh, go on. I and it's really weird, right? But basically, there was um, uh, during the day. I I work. Um, I do Task Rabbit stuff. Basically, I, I build people's flat pack furniture for them, mm-hmm. and so I spend a lot of time in other people's houses, building them a wardrobe or a chest of drawers or a sofa bed or whatever. I did a job somewhere uh, around York. Uh, old York for those listening from the States. Um, it's very old. Um, and it was this sort of teenage, well, I say teenager, it was probably maybe 18, 19, 20, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, very gender individual. They were very gender. They sure. Were, they were presenting uh, and had a very uh, supportive uh, mother who was probably younger than me, to be honest. Um, and so I was putting together some CD was like the bookcases but they were for cds mm-hmm. and i thought oh wow a child with cds this is exciting they were like pretty old school they had like nine green day posters sure around the wall and i thought this could this would apart from the content of the posters like the actual band posters this could look like teenagers from my generation's bedroom yeah. and i thought oh that's kind of fun and i and they, they had their cds on a on like a really rickety thing and they were excited about putting them in a, a better setup. So I was eyeing up their CDs as I was hammering dowels in and whatnot. And I saw there's plenty of Green Day. There's all sorts of stuff. There was no no effects, but there was Cokie the Clown. How interesting. Isn't that ma- And I could not tear my eyes away from that shelf. I was just like, that's in... That, it seems so weird to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I mean? and, and maybe if you're listening at home and you've heard this album... You'd be thinking that is a strange choice. You got, how yeah, to you have get... next to Green Day. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, how interesting. Green Day, some stuff that I wasn't familiar with um, that didn't even look like it was punk, but that doesn't mean it necessarily wasn't. Um, and stuff like, and sort of lots of like classic rock. There was sort of Queen, and I think there was My Chem and all that kind of stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. Some uh, some who's who of of this kind of thing. 
uh, and then just Cokey the Clown sticking out in the middle of it. And I thought, that's <laughs> that's wild. So, um, yeah, so overall, that's uh, I remember listening to this when it came out and it was it was a hard listen. Not sonically, because it's the sounds coming out of it are actually fantastic. Like mm-hmm. overall, the production on it is really, really good. It it sounds the way they want it to sound, and it and it and it's really, really good. But it is tough because it's very bare, and I yeah. don't think anything exemplifies that more than the first song. Yeah, the first song really sets out the stall of the album, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah. So we've got Bathtub, which is not very long, but I no. think the first 30 or 40 seconds doesn't contain any instruments. It is just Mike singing. It's, it's a very impressive uh, vocal take. Mm. Um, and yeah, I believe the piano comes in just before the halfway point. Um, and even that is, it's you know, it's a very minimalist piano. Yeah. Um, it, it's sort of it's deliberately confrontational with its discomfort mm-hmm. it it really and, and even when it comes in like you say it comes in with single note it actually sounds like i mentioned my cam it sounds like the black parade you know it's just that yes sing, it, yes single it absolutely does high piano notes and i know that fat mike is a big fan of um uh let's all go the black parade whatever that album's called um, I think it's called Let's All Go. It's Welcome to. I think it's called Welcome to the Black it is, Parade. Yeah, so not, yeah. not far off. Yeah, Let's All Go to the Black Parade sounds more like a kid's book. Um, but um, yeah, Welcome to the Black Parade. <laughs> Do you parade. want to go to the Black Parade? Yeah, Yay! let's go to the Black Parade. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's not just teenagers that scare the living shit out of him. It's uh, all of this stuff. But yeah, it's um, so it's this very, very high piano notes. Sort of free form association lyrics. Uh, again, we don't get a lot of rhyming on this um, album, but Mike doesn't like rhyming. Mm-hmm. Um, structures are played about with a little bit, although they're fairly standard structure, verse, chorus, verse, for a lot of these songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, I believe he said that he recorded some vocals for this album, like curled up on a sofa in the corner, like clutching the microphone Um I'm guessing this was one of those then. Yeah, that's what I think. Um, apparently, he had like a, a vodka bottle and the microphone, and was just singing in the in the control room. And apparently, that's very similar to how Kurt Cobain insisted on recording something in the way off of Nevermind. Uh, that's the, interesting. The Batman song, uh, mm-hmm. as it's now come to known to a whole generation. But basically, he just. He was. They had to mic him really, really close because he was just like barely strumming the guitar, barely singing, and they were just like, "No." Butch Vig was just like, "No, let's just do it this way." And then when they put the cello on it, they realized that Kurt's guitar was like wildly detuned, so they had to like detune the cello to get it the right to, and stuff <laughs> like that. So yeah, so it's um, but yeah, could have done with a fart joke, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Travis Barker was right there. <laughs> Not on this song, actually. I don't think there's any drums on this one. But no. yeah, th- so this one is about um, finding his, I assume it was Soma Snake Oil. Well, so... That's my theory. But is this not from the perspective of Cokie the Clown as a character? So um, for those of you that haven't heard the song, the song is about 
um, Mike or Koki or whoever whoever's perspective the song is from waking up and finding that their partner has taken their own life in the bathtub. Or, or certainly attempted to. Oh, I, I assume she, I thought like the details it goes into in the song makes it pretty clear that that person is, I, is dead. I could be thinking of it wrong, but I think there's a point where he said if I just slept an extra five minutes, she'd be gone. Oh, okay. So maybe I'm... Oh, you might be right. I know, like, because there's water in her mouth and... Yes. Oh, no, um... she's she's unconscious, definitely. Mm, I think yeah. she, 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 she she's very, very close to dying. If she dies or not, that's something I'm not... You're making me doubt it now because you could well be right. So could you. It's a rough listen. It's... Um... Yeah, it, it's genuinely haunting. Like, yeah. and particularly, like, I've listened to it a few times now. And I now like actively don't want to listen to it again because it's really sad. Like, there, it a it few, makes me feel really sad. There's a few songs on here that are not one and done, but you don't you don't necessarily want to listen to them every time. It's a powerful album, but it's not enjoyable to listen to. It's very good though. It is very good, and there is there is a catharsis. There is a um, a There's release. a depth that Mike, I didn't know Mike was really capable of. And I think that's possibly why he's doing this as Koki, because it's just mm. one layer removed or one, you know, one step removed from saying, my name is Mike Burkett and I found my wife after a suicide attempt. Mm, yeah. Which is why I think that these aren't character songs because... There's a song about his mum, which is not Koki's mum. It's Mike's mum. Oh, is that a true story then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And then most, in that case, I think I think you're probably right. Yeah, most, these are... Most of these, I think everything on this is mm. is actually a a genuine story from Mike's life. I don't... He does talk about his mum a lot in the, in the book. I yeah. don't think he actually goes into the same detail. Pardon me. I don't think he actually goes into the same detail in the book as he does in this song. But I do know that he's friends with Doug Stanhope. I was going to mention this. He's friends with Doug Stanhope. He's been on Doug Stanhope's podcast a couple of times. Doug's been on his. Mm -hmm. And they both have in common that they assisted the passing of their own mothers after like a terminal illness long-term terminal illness i didn't know that mike had i knew that doug had yes um so that obviously makes um track uh seven yes it's called that time i killed my mom for for anyone who uh is unsure as to which song that might be so yeah it's um it's gonna be hard to do jokes on this one isn't it yeah, we'll manage. It sets out the stall, which is why I would assume that all of these are real song, real stories from Mike's life. It, no, I, th- I think you might be right. And I kind of like, um, <laughs> if I'm allowed to say, it, I kind of hope that you are right, because my read of the album was that it felt at times a little bit uh, misery porn you know, like yep, yep. about a life you didn't have. But actually, if this is, if the if these songs are about real life experiences, yeah. then 
I totally understand the importance of this project. Yes, I, I think otherwise it could be a bit, you know, flowers in the attic, couldn't it? Yeah, bit... and, and sometimes Mike does feel like that, but maybe... I don't know. Maybe, maybe all, all the all the sad bits are true. I think I think sometimes, and I've heard Tim Armstrong be criticised for this mm. as well. And I think it's a fair criticism. I don't think it's well. I'll, I'll explain what it is and then put my position on it, which is that they'll tell the stories of people they know. Yeah, when they're not technically their own stories necessarily to tell. Yeah, or that they'll sing from that like that person's perspective, and obviously, like they don't know that person's perspective, or or they don't a hundred percent know, or it isn't their place. There's one example. Uh, she's Red Hot Moon from yeah. Indestructible, mm-hmm. in which case T- Tim Armstrong's talking about someone, a friend of his, had a sister who had an unfortunate life, and. Then Tim wrote a song about it, just describing what was going on. Not from her. He's not putting himself in her position. He's literally seeing, saying it as he saw it. Yeah. And I've heard some people say that's a bit exploitative. And he's a banger, though. Well, <laughs> that isn't entirely the point. But um, <laughs> no, no, no. Of but, course but, not. But I think Red has just uh, just uh, demonstrated how people get away with this kind of thing. Yeah. But, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but come on, mate. I mean, yeah, it is until Skinhead Rob turns up, and then uh, mm. and then you can just do a very gentle fade out. <laughs> In spite of it probably being the least objectionable that man has ever been on record. So, um, but yeah, so but I think things like "She's Gone," "She Didn't Lose Her Baby," all of yeah. those kind of songs, I think they are Laurie Myers to an extent. Yeah, I know. I believe those songs to be if not 100% real, but heavily based on, heavily based in general, mate. No, heavily based <laughs> in um, on a reality that Mike observed. Well, he says that he can't lie, so... That's true. He does say that he can't lie, but that's precisely what a liar would say. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I think he is, uh, I think he is uh, uh, probably right in that. He can't lie about big things and all that kind of stuff. But anyway... So no, like it it does jump about for me this album though like you know mm. first track is is so powerful and interesting and um some of the best songwriting that I think Mike's ever done yeah but then track 2 is i think my least favorite track on the album uh, uh it feels i know you mentioned earlier like some of this album's been mixed really well and i agree but some of it has been mixed badly and i would use this track in particular as an example um mm. it, it might have been mixed badly kind of on purpose like i do think this is how they want it to I, sound I, I think i think everything on this album whether one enjoys it or not is deliberate yes i, I don't think anything's been left up to chance or eh, that'll do i think this is very they very they want things to sound a bit disjointed a bit uncomfortable yeah um for me like everything on track two kind of sits in the same place in the mix like everything's quite loud and and fighting for the 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 top spot you know the vocals the violin the drums the the piano that fucking piano (laughs) yeah 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 i mean the so the fair leather friends track number Mm -hmm. two yeah um it i mean i do feel his pain 
on this, yeah. but I think this is sort of. I mean, all of this, all of these songs, for the most part, appear to be grief. Hmm. They're like they're all grief based. They're because he's grieving, or sort of there's a potential grief, or there's like grief adjacency in bathtub because he's grieving before it turns out she's actually all right. Because I'm I'm fairly confident that it was an attempt, but didn't. Come. Yeah, sure. Because I think it was. I, I think it's about Stoma Snake Oil. I'm not 100 percent sure. They were divorced by this time, but she did do the artwork or some of the artwork for the album. So mm-hmm. clearly on. Um, but then Fair Leather Friends is much more about Soma and talks about how after they divorced, loads of people were like, "Oh, thank God you got rid of that whore." Ah, and how. Because she was a dominatrix, uh, a sex worker, people were very, very sniffy. And he talks about, you know. I find that so weird in punk rock circles. It's it's not like Mike's hanging out with, you know, an accountant from some rich neighborhood. Like he's hanging out with, you know, Fletcher from Pennywise. I was about to say exactly Pennywise. (laughs) Penny, Yeah, Fletcher, the prude. You know, (laughs) it's like he's hanging out with Matt Skiba and stuff. And, you know, and all of these. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know who he's talking about because he's not naming them specifically because he's like, if you're listening to this, you know who you are. Mm. But, you know, he finds out that people stopped inviting him to places. People, you know, started talking smack. and, And if they did, that's really, really shitty because it's... If punks are opposed to sex workers, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, it feels pretty uncontroversial in these circles, surely. Yeah, you'd think. It's, it's so it's actually quite depressing in a sort of a world sense. A song like Bathtub is very, very depressing in a sort of human, a one person's pain thing. Whereas Fair mm. Leather Friends has got like bigger real world <laughs> sort of, sort of um, uh, suggestions of what's going on. Um. So I, I think he's really, really, he feels a real sense of betrayal. He talks about uh, right-wing grifters who pretend they're punk rockers. Mm-hmm. And and I think there probably was a thing of, I mean, if someone goes out, if a man goes out with a sex worker, there's immediately a group of men who may, they may be friends with, they may not, who are going to be like, oh, what a cuck, Ugh wouldn't let my girlfriend do none of that and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, you don't have to. She's Is she asking to? Whatever, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So I think um, there, there is a, I think you're right. I don't necessarily care for the mix and what that, and all that kind of thing, but I think the sense of betrayal is palpable in it. Yeah, absolutely. And even the songs which don't necessarily work or are not particularly as good. Mm-hmm. Or as, as as high quality as the rest, still carry with it um, an authenticity which I don't think can be dismissed or or, or contradicted. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's fair. Um, yeah, and so there's, I I find the last line in this song to be a it, it's a personal taste thing, but it's just a bit twee. It's like uh, you know. Not everyone says they can dance, but they lived a ballet. All right, well, Red likes it even less than I do by the sounds of that. 
but um it's i don't know it's i'm sure it was meant <laughs> meant meaningfully but uh yeah it wasn't for me that bit yeah fair enough but let's let's not dwell on on that kind of thing i think but i do think it's very very interesting that you know but he does point out and and thanks to all the friends who were there to love us which means that there it wasn't entirely jettisoned but i think that could be when mike and soma divorced mike got his little six flogs place and sort of invited those people that i think he felt supported him more like mm-hmm. john from old man markley yeah, yeah um and his wife and girlfriend and stuff like that so the they those people who were a little bit less uptight about sex work maybe became a more of a a crutch a social crutch or a you know personal crutch for mike to lean on i don't i think he maybe was slightly astray and then also with lockdown where he could only really see them and sam from get dead because he didn't pay attention to any lockdown so you know (laughs) wandering about the place by himself going where's everyone poser is a stand-up show by eddie french that's me all about punk rock gender nerddom and all other things where one is told that they are a poser if you'd like to come and see it i'm going to be at leicester comedy festival on saturday the 24th of february gray's at lbc depot the courtyard room at 6 20 p.m that show is free but you can get tickets online to avoid disappointment You can come and see me at Glasgow International Comedy Festival on Sunday the 24th of March at 3.30pm at Van Winkle in the West End. That show is £5 a ticket. And you can also come and see me at Brighton Fringe on Saturday the 18th of May, 3.30pm, Laughing Horse at the Temple Bar, and that show is also free. Really, really hope to see you there. Thank you. Okay, so the Queen is dead. This isn't a, a particular highlight for me, I've got to say. Oh, really? I think this is one of the better songs. All right, it's. It, I don't dislike it, but it's sort of. It's it's a great. It's a it's a farewell song to Naya, mm-hmm. whoever Naya is. I don't know, but clearly a scene fi- a scene fixture, someone cool who's gone. It really reminds me of um, the Frank Turner song, "Long Live the Queen." Yeah, I, I think a lot of this album is very Frank Turner. <laughs> like, there's at least three, maybe four tracks, particularly towards the end, where I'm like, these just could be Frank Turner tracks. <laughs> um, and I mean that in the, the the best of ways. Sure, sure. Now, I mean, it's sonically different to Long Live the Queen, but it's that, it's that thing of... Um... The party's not going to be the same without you. We're going to have to carry on, but it's not going to be as good. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll carry on. God, my camera permeating this episode <laughs> like nobody's business. I don't know what's going on today. I think it's the chorus just saying Naya Naya over and over again. I don't, I find it a bit, I don't know. It's it's a hook that doesn't quite hook me, I suppose. So maybe that's why. Fair enough. It's uh, it's not. I don't think any of these songs are bad, which is um, really refreshing after doing single and double album. In it, I think track two is a bad song, but I I I don't think I'm comfortable calling any of the other tracks bad. I don't know that it's bad. I just think that it maybe compared to the rest of them, I'm not sure it holds up. But yeah, if you think enough. it's bad, that's that's 
entirely fine as well, of course. Um, so, yeah, do you have anything else about The Queen is Dead? Um, I noticed there's a bit where Mike does his own backing vocals on this. I thought it was quite funny. Yes, yes, he does do that. <laughs> but also uh, he uses John Carey from Old Man Markley now to do his backing vocals because John Carey can imitate Mike. Oh, that's interesting. But he's got a broader range. Mm. So it could have been Mike, it could have been John, but yeah. I think on this particular track, I'm pretty sure it's Mike. No, I, it's I like, actually, now you mention it, I think you're right. It's like same register. And, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, this is also the one that's got the, it has that harmony thing, which I've definitely heard in no effects tracks before the, uh, like, I mean, I can't oh, yeah, do it yeah. when it's just like one vocal, but like they do like an arpeggio. Mm. of notes uh, and then harmonize within that and i've definitely heard that on a no effects track but i can't think which one i keep thinking it's that one about mondays but monday is my favorite time of year yeah oh that also um but maybe dead, it's not deadbeat mom from um uh, i think it's that actually yeah uh, yeah whatever. it's that That's, that was the longest line uh, longest time by um billy joel that one sorry Ah, <laughs> uh, for the longest time. <laughs> yes, that one. It starts off with the harmonies and then goes into the solo. It is good. I like the arrangement. I like all sorts of things on this. It's just um, not not up there. In the, it's it's not it's not in the top half mm-hmm. for me. Like I say, outside of yeah, Fair Leather Friends, I think is. I think Fair Leather Friends for me is the one that gets the most woe is me. Okay, yeah. And and it stops being sort of sort of righteous and starts being a little bit tantrum-y. But I can see where yeah. it's coming from, but I I think it's that's I, just, I also I yeah. find like a lot of like the um you know kink shaming and all of that like um I find it all weird cuz you know I I've come you know, I have a lot of friends in a lot of very sex positive circles mm-hmm. and I don't, um, normally if someone like gets involved in like BDSM and stuff, like uh, my experience is that you, you don't lose friends. It's that you find a, a wonderful new community of friends that do understand what you're into and what you enjoy. Yeah. And so like, I'll be honest, the same way as if you took up Warcraft absolutely you know what i mean like absolutely like, or, or whatever it was or you took a, if you went to an allotment and started doing that you'd like just make more <laughs> friends yeah, yeah yeah you know who just because your current ones don't have that interest but you find new people who do it's that so, kind of so yeah so i don't always understand this all like oh I'm, I'm i miss all of my old friends like why they sound like dicks don't you want to hang out with all of your new friends that fuck each other and you know, like... <laughs> i don't know i suppose I suppose it depends how you do it because mm, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, is that I we all know someone who suddenly got into a thing and it became their entire personality. <laughs> sure, yeah, we and all know a burlesque artist. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, and <laughs> and that doesn't mean we're opposed to nude slash semi nude performance art. Mm-hmm. It it means that we don't need this new 50s dress festooned individual telling us all about pasties <laughs> when last week they hadn't got a fucking clue what they were. Is that, is there an sure, element yeah. of that? Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay. Yeah. 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 Like it, 
if someone gets into BDSM and they're like, oh, I'm having such a great time and we meet up and we do all this stuff, and go, oh, good for you. That's really, really cool. You go, uh, yeah, why aren't you wearing nipple clamps as well? You go, well, I'm not. That's and, when, and you know Mike I mean? is someone who likes to bring every conversation back around to pegging. So exactly. maybe it's more about that. <laughs> I think it's a very punk thing. I think it's, a, you know, punks only really like to talk about their shit because then they can prove how much realer they are than you. So it might be, mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, I um, went out to a restaurant the other day. Was it a punk restaurant? No, no it wasn't a punk restaurant. The food was nice. <laughs> So I'm not I'm not victim blaming here, but we also know a lot about the personality of Fat Mike, and that has to be taken into account. Absolutely, this does not exist in a bubble. But again, I can fully believe that. I mean, he's got lots of friends who are from places like Orange County and shit. So that's really like really conservative. It's like people talk about California as this sort of left wing bastion. I'm like only mm. really two cities. From what yeah. I understand, <laughs> really Los Angeles and uh, San Francisco and everything else is kind of methy, isn't it? It's mainly meth, I think. <laughs> if you are from California, do let us know, um, assuming think, you've not sold your listening device for meth. I think this next track feels relatively methy. <laughs> Swing and a miss. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um... I think now I think track four Swing and a Miss I think has some of the best songwriting on it. I think that yep. Mike tells a really interesting story with this. Yes. However, this is another one of those similar to track one where you know it's not a track I'm rushing back to listen to. I feel like I have um bought the ticket and had the experience. Um and I'm not sure if there's much left in repeat listenings. But it is good. No. It is good, yeah. So Swing and a Miss is the story of a flatmate, uh, Fat Mike, about 19 years old. Uh, he says that certainly the, the guy in question was, so Mike, probably a similar age. So he may well have been in college, uh, who who hanged himself. Mm. Um, and um, he did it whilst drunk. There's a very, very um, memorable line, which is because um, when he when he was taken down, he exhaled, which is which means they thought that he was alive, but the body just does exhale when, yeah, yeah. when the... the, the, the yeah, and so it meant that uh, he caught a whiff of the Jägermeister on his breath, and now he can't disassociate Jägermeister from death. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah, and um, that must be... Uh, for someone who was doing a lot of touring and stuff in the 90s and noughties, Jägermeister was like synonymous with all of that. was when Jägermeister was really a sort of... Yeah, absolutely. That's when it came through as this thing. It sort of replaced Jack Daniels for a bit as the as the rock star drink. Yeah, well, it, I'm and pretty sure it was. Was it Metallica or Motorhead that were behind the marketing? Well, obviously, they weren't behind the marketing, but like they oh, endorsed it. Probably. Probably both. And the thing is, both of them taste like shit. So um, I, I love that idea, though, that Lars would be in the boardroom. Like, yeah. Jägermeister, we need to sell Jägermeister. Yeah, just sit down, yeah, Lars. Yeah, sit down. Lars, sit down. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love the way, yeah, the way Lars eats cereal, takes a spoonful, puts it in his mouth, gets up, walks around his kitchen island, sits back down, takes another spoonful, gets up, walks around his kitchen island, burning off the <laughs> calories as he puts them on. It's incredible. Um, 
but yeah, I think, yeah, because basically I think Jack Daniels got famous because Lemmy drank it because it was probably really, really yeah. cheap shit whiskey, which is what it is. And um, and then everyone went, whoa. And because the bottle looks kind of cool, it's square. It's like, oh, wow, this is good. And, you know, oh, look at me. I'm drinking Jack Daniels. Fucking hell. People were like, <laughs> oh, it's the best rock star drink ever. So then they were like, right, put $10 on a bottle now because now we're top shelf, baby. And Jägermeister <laughs> thought, well, what can we do with our, our little regional herbal-based <laughs> digestive meant to be sipped at the end of a meal? <laughs> I know, people, people mix it with an energy drink. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like marketing genius, these guys. It's like you've, it's, it's like if Buckfast Tonic Wine decided to be legit. <laughs> shots of Bucky. Um, if, uh, if you're not familiar with Buckfast Tonic Wine, whew, used to be my festival drink, that Buckfast and Red Bull. I was much younger and much stupider, but yeah, you could only really do it once a year. Sorry, we're talking about this uh, this horrible, sad thing. So the the story being is that his uh, Jerry, I believe, is his name, mm-hmm. and he uh, he tried to kill himself the previous day. Mike had said, "Don't do that," and then he did do that, um, and they uh, there's all this stuff about how they hadn't cleaned the blood. He'd tried it the day before and cut himself they hadn't cleaned the blood away so when his parents came to get his stuff there was just a patch of his blood on the floor they talked about splitting up his record collection you know just like picking at it like um like buzzards someone stole his truck and um while his girlfriend was there just being rightfully upset and it's just a real I've written in my notes, it feels like a confession that's being done in lieu of therapy. Yeah, which I think a lot of this album is, and yeah. hey, a lot of Mike's work in general, I think, is in lieu of <laughs> therapy. But I do think 10 or 20 hours of therapy would be beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if Mike goes to therapy. That's true, actually. I don't know. If he did, he'd have mentioned it. Yeah, he would have mentioned it. Um <laughs> I also think that uh, this track, if you took the vocals out, it would actually make quite a good um, uh, Minecraft track. <laughs> There's like little bits of music in Minecraft that are really nice and lovely while you're like punching a tree or something. Oh, and um, I think, uh, and I think, I mean, punching a tree does sound like slang for masturbating, but um, <laughs> I'm just going to go punch my tree. Um, but yeah, I think. Um, I think having those, the nice arrangements and the sweet melodies come juxtaposed with the um, yes, the, the uh, upsetting poetry is um, is a definite deliberate mistake. I've also written. I don't think that this song is a request for forgiveness. I don't think he's asking to be absolved for being kind of sociopathic about it. Hmm. But I I think that it's just taking the weight off of his own chest he's just saying it so that it is said i think and i think a lot of that feels like it too i've also written that there's a a cello or maybe a violin or viola line that sounds a lot like the melody from punk rock cliche oh okay yeah yeah that one there's a couple of little motifs in this album or at least one more 
that I uh, I picked up on. But mm-hmm. yeah, so swing and a miss. Um, yes, I'd I'd be sat down when you listen to this one. Don't do it. Don't listen. this album shouldn't be listened to whilst driving. Not for the first time. No, I don't think you'd get much out of it. You'd fall asleep. I don't know if you'd fall asleep, but certainly you'd be looking at your music player, your your stereo, and not looking at the road. For the first time, maybe sat down somewhere safe, uh, <laughs> a, a hot non-alcoholic drink, and knowing that someone will be with you soon is uh, probably a good idea. Um, the next track... Yes, Down is... With The Ship. Now, this is the first one where I was like, I mean... This is just a Frank Turner song, surely. <laughs> um, and I feel very strongly that this should be the last track on a, on a NoFX album. I totally get what you mean. I think there's already isn't there already a NoFX song called "Down with the Ship." Oh, is there? I think there might be. On like, isn't it on um, first ditch effort? There's something about um, down with the ship. Or it's on self entitled. Self entitled. I knew it was that era. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not that song, definitely. So there's two. No. So that he's written two songs called "Down with the Ship." That's interesting, <laughs> isn't it? Have any other artists written two songs with the same name? Anyway, hmm. doesn't matter. Um, that's uh, that's a very short podcast episode. Yes, it is Fat Mike. Okay, we'll see you next week. <laughs> this is a, a very cello-y arrangement, and I think this song it may be what inspired his Fat Mike Get Strung Out project. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, and, and I think it's really, really good, and the, the arrangement's really, really nice. I initially thought that this song was about no effects. Sure. But then the more I listened to it, I think the more it was just about how Mike doesn't um, go. He doesn't leave something when the going gets rough. He'd rather stay with his friends and ride it out or with whoever's yeah. doing it. It's about people who who uh, just bow out of a thing and just go, yeah, no, this is getting too rough. And and he's not necessarily saying that's a good thing. Yes, he's saying no, he's, absolutely. He's saying he's doing it. Yeah, there's, there's a great line in it. Uh, I take the less beaten sociopath, which is uh, which is a very fat Mike lyric. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the instrumental break sounds like, um, or oh, the viola break sounds like the instrumental from I Will Survive. It's la da 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 da. Yeah, yeah so, it does. Yeah, which. Um, and I don't know if that's a deliberate nod. It's like, I'm going down with the ship, but I will survive. I don't know. It might be. It might be. I've only just, that's only just occurred to me. I thought it was just a coincidence. But yeah, I do. Yeah, this could be, this is, yeah, this is kind of Frank Turnery because it's, it displays a huge amount of self-knowledge and self-awareness. And it's about maritime bollocks. <laughs> Frank Turner absolutely <laughs> loves the sea. <laughs> he does. He, do you know what? You're absolutely right. You could make the Frank Turner... <laughs> he Tur- wishes he was a pirate. He'd love to be on <laughs> Our Flag Means Death. Oh, He'd yeah, yeah. love it with a with a harpsic- harpsichord, accordion, one of them. Yeah, hurdy-gurdy or some shit, yeah. <laughs> I think, um, 
Yeah, no, I think you could. I, I bet when he's not touring, he's sat at home playing Sea of Thieves like a virgin. Do you know what it is? I know exactly how this happened. I, know I, I say that because I, I played Sea of Thieves like a virgin. Yeah. Touched for the very first time. I reckon, right, what happened was, was um, he wasn't really into video games and then he got confused by Assassin's Creed Black Flag and went, oh, fuck, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> and then it turned out to be a stealth game with pirates and he went, I like the pirates bit. This is good. I, I don't have anything to back this up, but I'm, I am certain that Frank Turner has played and enjoyed Monkey Island. I absolutely agree with you because right. he's precisely the right age for it. Right. Um, it's precise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm just waiting for his next song, uh, How Appropriate You Fight Like a Cow. <laughs> On his new album, Ahoy There, Fancy Pants. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I think that's definitely how it is. It's about It's about the sea. Or it's a, um, it's not, it's an analogy to do with the sea, which is even more. Frank Turnery. Even more Frank Turnery, yes. So um, (laughs) is Wessex particularly coastal? I can't think. It's down south. It's down south. That's near the, yeah. It's closer to the sea than I am, in fairness. So it could be. Mm. I do quite like it. Um, But I think the other thing that's very Frank Turner about it is that it puts the negative aspect of what they're sort of celebrating to the front going, yeah, I, I know that this isn't good, but the rest of it is so sharp, <laughs> which I like a lot. It's that, you know, getting in the way before someone has a go. Hmm. I think that is a good one. I think this next one is the main single from the album. Is that correct? Negative Real was released as well. Yes. Negative Real and Fair Leather Friends were both had videos, I think. Which is re- like the, I, I think it's so strange that you would release Fair Leather Friends from this album. I think there's so many more interesting tracks to release. I think Fair Leather Friends was probably the most recent grievance. Uh, maybe, yeah. Because a lot of these, there's like the thing from when he was 19. Yeah. I don't know when this lady Naya passed. Mm-hmm. So that might have been recent. But uh, certainly the thing with his mum was, um, you know, uh, 2006. Yeah, I was going to say. Because he sings it in the song. So that's, you know, 15 years before. 13 years, yeah. but you know. So I think that's... Um, so I think that might just be because it was so raw and recent. And because he'd only just sort of fairly recently divorced from Soma and people had started coming back into his life or trying to because they were happy that he was no longer um, married to a sex worker and all that kind of stuff. I like the harpsichord. Yeah, I think it certainly makes it uh, a unique sound on this album. Like it sets the track apart from the others. So, yeah. So I think that this one, it this one is social isolation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's how he feels alienated from the majority of society. Now, he said before that ever since he went to see the curious incident of the dog in the night... Yeah. That he suspected he might have autism. Right. He, or some sort of neurodivergence. I don't think, as far as I'm aware, I don't think he's actually undergone any testing or, or anything. No. But it's just sort of gone, well, I might be. But he also doesn't seem to have a problem with how he exists because he's found ways of making his life how he wants it to be. Yeah. 
And so I think his it's basically about the relief of not having to mask anymore. It seems, <laughs> you know, not to not to diagnose too much, but do you get that vibe from it? That's that's what I mainly took. Away. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. Um, I think there's some. I, I think it is about sort of like, oh, I might be a bit different, but I get the feeling from Mike that he generally rejects kind of medicine in general. Like, I don't think he's someone that goes and gets a lot of things checked out. He doesn't seem to undergo therapy or get anything really diagnosed. I mean, I think I think when he went to rehab, mm-hmm. obviously there's a therapy element of course. For that. So he will have done that. But I think that was about because he basically went, oh, I was taking pills because he's like, he said, my drug use only became a problem when I came off tour and carried on using, which I never normally did. When I was off tour, I wouldn't really do drugs. Yeah. Or drink a great deal because he had stuff to do. He was in the studio or he was, you know, the only time he's ever used while recording, for example, was on First Ditch Effort. Mm-hmm. So he's singing California Drought about what he thought yeah. being sober would be like. Yeah. Because he was sad because he'd his musical had failed. He was getting a divorce. You know, X, Y, and Z things were happening. Mm-hmm. Well, not musical hadn't failed, but his musical had fallen through, you know, all, all of these things and, and all that stuff. So, um, so yes. Yeah, so, and then, you know, he said, you know, when he's... Uh, being the uh, the sub in an S and M situation, he he basically can't. He doesn't have time to think, or he doesn't. He can't think about anything because of what's going on. So it's sort of a. a re- he's like, I feel this. You know, I feel I feel no difference between pleasure and pain. Yeah, that well, kind of thing. There's a lot of stuff about pain in general in this song. Like mm. one. One line I noticed, uh, the only time I ever fit in is where is when I wear a second skin. Yes. I'm pretty sure that's about tattooing. Um, second skin is the is what you kind of wear after a tattoo's been put on to stop you from like banging into things. Like you this, oh, it's like, like this thin sheet of plastic that goes over it and kinda like I thought that was cling film. Well, they used to be cling film, but second oh, someone, skin is a specific. Oh, they've developed a more porous yeah. or something. Yeah, right, it's right, like right. it's just much better. You can keep it on for a week. Um, oh, uh, and, as long and, as it doesn't congeal too much, and your and your leg won't get all sweaty and unpleasant. And yeah, yeah right, yeah. right, right. I understand. It just means it heals a little bit quicker, a little bit safer. Yeah. Um, but it it sounds like it might be specifically about that because with the rest of the song being so clearly about pain and mm. how pain distracts him and i think there's now also keep in mind all of these songs are being done while he's dressed as a clown yeah well actually it's funny you say that because on this particular song i've written down this clown isn't very funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah but which clowns are <laughs> oh, I've seen funny clowns. I've trained in clown. There are funny clowns. They're just no, really pretentious. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm talking about the uh, like the circus ones. Cause, yeah, because it's not like he's he's doing some great Doctor Brown stuff going on. He's literally the the smiley face and the white the pan stick. You know, but I I think so. 
I mean, it's an Augustine clown, isn't it? The the classic one with the white face and the red cheeks and stuff like that. You would absolutely know more than I do on this, I can promise you. But there is a very famous clown academy in Los Angeles, and I would be very surprised if Mike wasn't somewhat familiar with it. Right. And they do teach quite traditional clown. Like, it does come from Big Top Circus Clown. Oh, okay. Um, But, it, you know... It, they've modernized it somewhat so if i i'd love to know his 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 understanding and experience of of the wider clown world because i think he's probably been into it a little bit more than he's mentioned or would he have you know not stopped talking about it if he had if he's done any clown training he would have mentioned it not necessarily like training i'm sure he's not trained but like has he Hmm. been to a a clown show like has he seen red bastard for instance who is like a really interesting um american clown who i would have thought mike would fucking love he's la based i believe Um, maybe i'm not giving mike enough credit for assuming that as soon as he likes something he just starts shouting about it but (laughs) but i'd have thought that during the press and interviews about koki the clown he would have mentioned that if it was yeah, if it was right. an influence on it, he would have brought it up. Yeah, no, because that, I think yeah. I think it's very hard to catch Mike out on things because he tends to bring stuff up. If someone went, huh, "All right, well, this is just him being friends with Red Bastard and Frank Turner," he would have said that if that was yeah, what he right. consciously you're done. Right. I think so, um, but again, absolutely could be wrong. But again, because of this negative reel song, you know, the way that he feels better when he's, um, you know, when he doesn't have to mask his true feelings and behavior. I'd have thought that, you know, because he sort of stopped certainly around like in Transvest Light when he said, um, I decided right there, I can't be bothered to care what other people think. And so I think this is a sort of a regret of having masked for so long, maybe. Sure. And that through S&M and cross-dressing and all of the other stuff and him accepting that as being a fundamental aspect of who he is, he's no longer having to do that. And yeah, and I, I think it's, I think it's pretty good. Hmm. Hello everyone. Eddie here. Red and I hope you're enjoying our show. If you have been and would like to help us make it a little more easily, then you can donate to us at our coffee page, which is ko-fi.com forward slash punk rock elite. Or you can look in the show notes for our link tree. If you can't help us financially, we totally understand, but would love it if you spread the words to other people who would like this podcast. We thank you for your continued support. We massively appreciate it. Back to the show. We come to possibly the song that's most talked about from this album. Yeah, well, in my notes, the first line says, proper song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've written, couldn't find any info on what this one is about. No, I'm lying, well, this... I could, yeah. Uh, no, that's, uh, no, that time I killed my mom. So, yeah, detailed in the hepatitis bathtub book. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that even when it's not him, he's still boasting about how much drugs his family can do. Not an, not even fifty <laughs> pills was enough. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to do jokes because this is such a sad thing. Um, mm. 
but yeah, it's a, a defense of what his mum wanted. Um, I mean, I'm pro chosen death, so I consider it to be something you should he shouldn't have to apologize for, really, sure. as there should be things in place to facilitate this kind of thing. Um, that's just... and my, my understanding in America, it's a like what, this isn't illegal. What what he's what he's done? I don't know. Because it's no, I, probably I'm, state by state as well. Ah, uh, it is probably state by state. That is fair. California, I, I, I'd imagine, to have more lenient laws in general because they tend to. But I don't know that for sure. That's a generalization. I heard a podcast recently that was recorded recently as well with right. Doug Stanhope on it talking specifically about that. Right. And he was saying about how when the ambulance arrives, he was terrified about how he was implicated in it mm-hmm. um and like the first thing he said was like she's in there but i didn't i didn't you know like yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's not, but like the paramedics were nothing but understanding and were just like oh no this is absolutely fine you have <laughs> oh, wow. done what you feel is necessary and it is okay like there's there's no legal recourse for what has happened here um yeah you know, uh, so I presume Mike was in a similar situation. Yeah. And now Doug Stanhope has killed over 90 mothers. <laughs> America's Harold Shipman. Absolutely. <laughs> but with punchlines to back it up. Because that was the problem with Harold Shipman. He never did an open mic. <laughs> My uh, girlfriend's grandma was a patient of his. Oh, well. Must yeah. have been when she was younger. Not that much younger. All right. But he didn't... Yeah, I think... I don't. I, don't, I think he went for people at the end of... Like, yes. Like, at the end, end of life. Yes. Um, um, but he didn't tell them about it, which is no, bad no, 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 and no, wrong. No, no, no. no very much a, a, a murderer. Yes. Um, if you want to uh, have a look at Britain's most boring serial killer than uh, <laughs> Harold Shipman... A real true crime cul-de-sac. You'd think with the body count, you'd be like, whoa, how come there aren't so many stories about this? Because motherfucker was dry. And he never really explained why, did he? He just kind of like killed himself in prison. I don't think yeah, he actually yeah. like ever explained it. No, no, no. It's strange because in the same album, only a few songs later, he talks about how his mum was quite distant and she was absent in a lot of ways yeah and wasn't particularly there for him there's a line later on which breaks my heart more than any any line any single line in this album which is um she never threw me a birthday party Mm. and it's it's just and you can hear him singing it and it sounds like a child saying it or you can hear the child say it. it sounds like an adult man obviously but um but he still talks so very fondly about how you gave me the greatest life and all of this stuff in this song. Yeah. And obviously two things can be true at once. We know this. So, yeah. So yeah, a, um, a very thought provoking. And I think his daughter has sings a line on this as well. Oh, wow. Cause there's a, there is a, there is a, a young female voice on it. About what's wrong with grandma's face. Hmm. And yeah, it's there's there's not really not much to say about it. It's a very straightforward 
thing. Like all of these are, there's not only maybe in something like Down with the Ship, where he's talking in slight abstracts. Yeah. Everything else is very laid on the line and plain to see. So yeah, um, it's it's a tough listen, but I'd say overall worth it. Yeah. Followed by Fuck You All. Yeah, so I think... I think the last three tracks on this album are the best tracks on the album. And, you know... I think you might be right. It, it's... If, but also, you could be criticising, saying, like, yeah, because they sound the most like no effects. Um, <laughs> they do do that as well, yes. But, like, I think it's quite interesting to hold these songs back to this point in the album. Hmm. like Because you know that the sequencing was agonised over. Yeah. And I, I imagine the sequencing for this is quite tricky because so many of them feel like a final track of an album. Like, yeah. putting down with the ship in the middle of an album, because I suppose there's nowhere else for it to go. Like, no. I think I think the final song is the right song. Yeah, no, I agree. But um, everything else is kind of up for grabs, isn't it? Yeah, because then, like, you could arguably put "Down with the Ship" as the first track, but again, "Bathtub" is exactly where it needs to be. Again, yeah, I think you're right because if you started with, say, "Fuck You All," yeah, it makes it sound like a very aggressive album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and it is the most aggressive song on here. Yeah. Um. Because it's about all the people who've screwed him or other people over for money. Yeah. It's like calling out sellouts in a in a big old way. Because it's sat the thing is I, I was kind of turned off this song a little bit when I first heard it. Because it starts off and it sounds a bit like a generic, oh fuck the haters kind of song. Yes. Yeah. But that's only because I think the lyrics go from being fine or a bit meh to being very good quite quickly but the the little intro to it the the way you get into it it sounds like it's going to be a slightly different song to what it actually is and i think yeah. i was wrong footed by them a bit but um yeah so this one i think there's electric guitars on it there's there's actual drums and what have you you know it was, um, yeah and yeah you're right it is a, a it feels more like a song you could believe fat mike wrote now am i right in thinking these um, when was this recorded? Well, it was released 2019, so presumably 2018 slash 19. So is that fo- following Coaster? No, that's following First Ditch Effort, which was 2016. Oh, okay. That is interesting. So in that case, that actually makes it make a little bit more sense for me. The, these final three tracks are... Do you remember when we were listening to like First uh, sorry, single and double album. Yes. And I was like, oh, there's a sound in here that NoFX hasn't sounded like. And and I can hear it on a few tracks like Doors and Fours mm. and uh, Darby, uh, Crashing Darby Darby's Crashing Party. Your party yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can hear this like new NoFX sound and I think it's really interesting and I feel like there isn't enough of that on those albums. But I I can hear that in, in these final three tracks. Yeah. I, I feel like... They're almost like lost no effects tracks. And I, I think that single or double album, you could at least get one full album of this, this new no effects sound mm. if they were a little bit more strict on what made it onto those albums, I guess. Yes, if they had a finer mesh on their quality sieve. But uh, but you know that that, that would have meant that. that. No, no, I liked it. It was really good. Um, 
but then I suppose then this album w- wouldn't happen. And there is something great and brilliant about this album. Although I am certain I will never listen to it again. <laughs> I might, I might listen to one or two songs, but I don't yes, think I'll listen to yeah. it as a record. Absolutely. I don't think he'd worked out this full album. He hadn't exercised it from himself before single and double were made because it feels like this album has bled into those albums. Yes, especially what you just said. Yeah. Which is why I think there's some contradiction on single and double. They don't feel fully like no effects albums. And if, and if yeah. the rumors are true and that, um, you know, no effects weren't the only people who played on that album, and the way that Mike did it, because I think he did this in the sort of the demoing and all that stuff with Johnny from Old Man Markley, who showed him how to use Pro Tools to do demos and mm-hmm. wrote out the drum beats in like some sort of beat arranging thing and then said to Smelly, play that instead of sort of workshopping it with him a bit and stuff yeah. like that. It's become, that's why they feel more like Mike solo albums like this one, where he's got much more control over stuff. Yeah. I think Fuck You All is is good. It's kind of catchy. It's upbeat. It's the first song that you could really call a banger <laughs> on this album. Yeah. You know, there's, um, and it's and it's quite forthright and stuff. But yeah, no, I think it is good. Any further thoughts on Fuck You All or? No, I, I just think it's a it's a good song. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear what people uh, think of this album. Oh like yeah. If, you list, if you've listened to it and you've got your own thoughts, please do send them to our email, punkrockelitepodcast at gmail dot com. But also, if you haven't heard this album, like I think these final three tracks in particular, like mm. for any No Effects fan, the I, I do think these are a must listen. Yeah, and I think and I think it is this album should be listened to as an album. Yeah, that's fair. It sh- it should be taken in one sitting because there's a flow to it. It's picking at, I mean, I feel that about albums anyway. They should, you know, yeah, but that's I because agree. I'm old and boring. But I think they're chosen to be that way, the way they are. They, they should have a flow, a rhythm. Even if they're not a concept album, there should be some sort of story or emotional story arc to an album. That's my feelings and i'm sure people listening to a a podcast about punk that's not going to be a controversial opinion (laughs) pre-arraigned marriage track number nine it's really good it's like uh it's 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 the album's scar track it's not quite a scar track Mm. but in the context of the album uh it's like this album's eat the meek kind of thing yeah Um, yeah but what I quite like about it, and what I think is genuinely interesting, is because you know I, I don't think that you can just say this because it isn't a scar track. It's got some really interesting like vaudeville jazz elements to it. I think this is his Beatles song. Oh, okay. Well, now I need to give it another listen. That's so interesting, especially with the coda at the end, the love, love, love. Because I think this is like a sort of a, a Sergeant Pepper or um, that sort of accessible psychedelic not like the yeah okay actually yeah i felt that it was quite kind of beatlesy because the Uh, harmonies yeah yeah it's it that was only on the last time i listened to it as well that i picked that up so it's not it's not right up there but it it, once it's there you go oh yeah this is 
this is interesting. It's a little bit hey Jude. Yeah, it's a little bit with all that kind of stuff, but um, but also the the arrangements and the vocals and the harmonies and stuff. Um, but yeah, so it's about it's very clearly about his two ex wives, um, Erin mm-hmm. or E Daggers as she's known, um, and uh, uh, Simon Snake Oil about. It's it's a very betrayal laced song. He feels betrayed by them. Um, there is a the irony of giving a dominatrix the upper hand. <laughs> uh, I understand. <laughs> I understand the S and M dynamics. Don't at me. Um, but about him, basically, about how he feels they made him feel bad and guilty by them. But yeah, down to their own insecurities. Hmm. In the book, he talks about. Erin telling him that he looked ridiculous when he was wearing a dress once because he wanted to be more honest than about who he was. And so sort of said, oh, you know, because when they were having their S&M um, times, he'd be like, I'm going to wear a dress for this one. And she got angry and said he looked ridiculous and stuff. And he felt very upset by that. And um, I don't recall any story in the book about that in relation to Soma, but clearly... Um, Things she was upset. I think, I think one of the reasons they they split up was because she stopped doing drugs and became a Buddhist, and the drug taking atheist found that less than appealing. So maybe that's one of those things, or he felt that she was looking down on him, or what have you. Again, this is a betrayal one. There's grief and betrayal all over this sort of every negative feeling he's had. It's a very venti album. I don't mean like a. Big coffee. I mean, like they. <laughs> so I just realised yeah, what quite, I said. It has quite the opposite effect of a big coffee. It, do you know what? If anything, if you've had a big coffee, listen to this, and you'll be <laughs> back down again. Yeah. Um, it's like when you go to Amsterdam and they go, "Oh, mate, if you take too many shrooms, like have a big glass of milk and a, like a chocolate biscuit or something," and uh, you're like dairy and sugar, that'll that'll take it down. This is this is a fucking gallon of chocolate ice cream for your uh, for your shroom trip. Right here, <laughs> but I, I think musically as well, it is really, really good. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And is up and there it, with some of his best work. No, it, it absolutely is. And the same for for this this final song as well, which again, mm. like I mean, this really does just sound like a no effects track. Yes, um, more so than the others. Like you get like a little bit of distorted guitar. Yep. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm I'm. I'm both surprised that, that a lot of these tracks haven't found their way onto NoFX albums, but also I totally understand. Like this album as a piece of art is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think if you took bits out of it, it would be less interesting. It's greater than the sum of its parts. Yes, absolutely. So the last song, Punk Rock Saved My Life, which I was considering as the title for my show. But then I realized ah. it gave away one of my jokes. I'll give it away now because a lot of you will never see my show. But it was um, Punk Rock Saved My Life. But that's not the only reason to dislike it. <laughs> but Poser Saves on Ink. This is basically a full autobiography in, uh, yeah. in song form, isn't it? So it's Neglectful Parents, um, you know, talks about... I mean, we've already had, by this point, we've already had... Uh, was it Father's Day or Happy Father's Day from First Ditch Effort, mm-hmm. which starts off "Fuck you, Mike, uh, fuck you, Paul Baquet, 
I'm glad that you're dead. Yeah. Um, so he's already laid into his dad on record. And he's... Also, so I've just noticed, because the first line of this song is, my, my dad sold women's shoes and travelled nine months a year. Mm-hmm. So... When he he called an album so long and thanks for all the shoes, I know that there are other reasons for it. You know, like I think they like they were given lots of free shoes from different skate companies or something on the Warp Tour is what I've heard. But like it was uh, because the audience used to throw shoes. Yeah, I've heard that as well. That was that, apparently that was it. That, that's the reason Mike has given. But it has it has nothing to do with the fact that his dad was a shoe salesman because I mean I don't it know. could be. It it could be. Because his dad did leave and he did sell shoes. I mean, I hadn't even picked up on that. And I think you've just done a little bit of detective work. Um, and it'll be interesting to find out whether that's true or not. I can't confirm or deny, but it's a very interesting thought, isn't it? Yeah. Very interesting thought. So talks about going to see X and the subhumans. And mm-hmm. that was what he he went, oh, that please. Yeah. And it does finish with a very heartfelt line, my family was always no effects. Yeah, absolutely. Like so, so the last line of Mike's solo album is yeah. the word you know, the word no effects. I it, think that's lovely. It's dedicated to no effects. And then the piano plays the trombone line from the decline. Yeah. It's that yeah, it does. And it's got the vinyl scratches sound as well, because so is vinyl and all that stuff. It's about, yeah, chosen family being the most important family. It's it's essentially about an orphan who still had both his parents. Yeah. Which is wild. And this is the same cunt who wrote the Stephen Hawking song. <laughs> what the fuck is this? He's the, got range. The duality of man. It's <laughs> absolutely, absolutely shocking state of affairs. But yeah, um, it's... I, th- I think that's what this whole album is about, though. Like, you get to finally see, like, the the actual breadth of what Fat Mike can do. Because I feel like he's, you know, I think he's always been capable of making music like this. But he hasn't done it because he knows that it would sound bad on an FX album. So mm. by doing this as a solo album, he's given himself the space to say all of these things that he's wanted to say, you know, like yeah. to express himself yeah. in, in ways that he hasn't been able to on previous NoFX albums. Absolutely. And I think that having that freedom, knowing that it wasn't going to be NoFX, maybe means that he can approach it in a different way. And there's an interesting parallel with another band that we've actually talked about for a whole episode on this, uh, which is Rancid. Oh, yeah. You know the album Troublemaker? Uh, I'm not actually familiar with that one. You don't really have to be, but it was interesting because I mean, I I'm in two minds about Indestructible these days, to be honest. But um, it's, it, but I think that's because it's two different records um, pushed that's together. Fair. So maybe that's where the the issue lies. But basically, all of the Brett Reed post Brett Reed era Rancid, I'm not that fussed about mm-hmm. and, and actively dislike in some cases. But Troublemaker, when I listened to it, I thought, oh, this is, they're not doing just the same sort of, oh, we are true punk bro crap that was a lot less interesting. Yeah. And I found out that that's apparently because that was supposed to be a follow up to Tim Armstrong's first solo album. Huh. But Brett Gerwitz convinced him to make it as a rancid album. 
So there are songs that are a bit more introspective, that are a bit more, dare I say it, emotional mm-hmm. than what Rancid was putting out. And it made for their best album in over 10 years. That's interesting. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it's still not uh, one that I, I adore, but it is one that is much better than it, it, all the other It stuff. sounds like that's kind of what I want out of this project. Because I think if Mike did have the guts to put some of this on a no effects album. I think it would have made the no effects album more interesting than, you know, single and double album uh, or and self-entitled in fact. Yes. Um, Although keep I, in mind, self-entitled is a weird one because right after that, not right after it, but after that came first ditch effort, which yeah. I, I love. Um, yes, I think absolutely. is absolutely, I think is their last great album and is a really great album. I know we're not, in a hundred percent company for believing that. No, absolutely that. not. But that's fine. Um, but yeah, I think if there was a bit, I don't know, a bit more of this and a bit less, a bit less seventy-two virgins for me. Oh, it's seventy-two hookers. <laughs> seventy-two hookers. Yeah. Um, not even that stuff because that happened before this album by two albums. Um, oh, of course. Yeah, I keep. But, but stuff like. Up. A lot of the, a lot of the more rose-tinted spectacles of what punk used to be like and stuff like that. And I suppose when you're in a bad place, emotionally, mentally, you do look for comfort. Mm. And your comfort, and if your comfort blankets are being tied to a post and beaten, and old punk from the 80s then those two things are going to be present in what you're doing a lot more than if you were feeling pretty good about yourself and the world maybe i don't know yeah i'm going to be gender about this but you know very often uh, a woman will text one of her friends and go so how are you coping and they'll be like i've just watched all six bridget jones diaries movies in one day oh you'll feel better soon you know (laughs) i mean it's like that sort of Uh comfort deep dive and Pete, you know everyone does it i was just thinking of a, a real life example i remember being told about once so uh don't at me genders <laughs> i think if we'd have had one more of these instead of single and double mm. than the next no effects album assuming there was one and assuming because there potentially will be one as well like they, there's they have said that they will be still making stuff in the studio but not necessarily touring it they right. have they've said that half album that's coming out and then oh, okay uh, everyone's an idiot but me or something everybody is stupid except me but then they did that sort of no fxx box set which had like 10 songs on it with a an acoustic version and a demo version of each one and apparently that's making up quite a lot of the next releases. So they've already shot that load, which is uh, a bit annoying because I think a lot of people were annoyed about single and double is that I think they released like four songs off a single album before it came out. Yeah. There's only sure. 10 songs on it. Yeah. So it feels like, yeah, that drip feed thing doesn't feel great, but that's the thing when you put out seven inches, they will make their way onto the internet and people will get to hear them first and what have you. But anyway, what are your closing thoughts on Cokie the Clown? 
I'm really glad that I actually took the time to listen to this because mm. I know that I wouldn't have left to my own devices. <laughs> um, and I feel like I have a much richer idea of who Mike is as a person and an artist as a result. Yeah. I get a lot more insight into him from this album than any of the most recent NoFX albums. Um, probably of any NoFX album, really, because it's so... Yeah personal it, i think after this album any subsequent album was going to feel like he'd put a wall back up oh also i'm i'm really glad that you have explained uh how true to his life experience it is yeah because when i listened to it the few times i listened to it i got the feeling that this was all through the eyes of a character mm. because that's kind of the story set out, you know, yeah. like this is the Koki the Clown. He didn't call it Fat Mike's album. He called it Koki the Clown's album. So I do think that gets in the way of it telling its actual story. And I think that's probably deliberate. Yeah, I, I think, think he's right. muddying the waters. For, for other people's case, probably more so than his own. Do you know oh, what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like if he's talking about his divorce and you know, people he's he's known who, who've committed suicide. He's mm. doing it for other people's anonymity as much as he is his own. Well, that's the thing is that, yeah, Koki the Clown is sort of an avatar. In fact, I think the second skin and the, the mask mm. that he wears is Koki the Clown because people yeah. see him as a fat doofus on drugs. Yeah. And that's the, and he's like, all right, if you want that, if that's what you think I am, I'll be that. But yeah. I'll, I'll be, I'll be the honest thing that you allegedly want. But I'll do it whilst being the literal clown in clown makeup. I mean, it's very possible that someone referred to him as Koki the Clown, like on a tour or something, or said, "Oh yeah, Mike. Oh yeah, what do you mean Koki the Clown? Is he going to be yeah, around here?" And that absolutely. kind of thing. And I think he might be going, "All oh, right, well, if that's what I am, then I'll be it then." How do you like mm-hmm. your Koki the Clown now? That's possible. It might not be. I think but, it's definitely come from something like that. Like more so the, you know, like the EP of Koki the Clown. Yeah. Um, I think it's definitely come from something like that. I think so. But he's really taken to this idea of him being. He's saying, all right, all right, is this what you want? You want, you know, all right, well, I'll show you what is under here. And so mm-hmm. this is technically, yeah, Koki the Clown... Uh, to um i mean this might be a, a metaphor that he'd not even thought of because i've only just thought of it um not that, that makes a difference but the idea is that you've got an album with koki the clown written on it and when you take out what's in the middle of koki the clown and listen to it you get this <laughs> maybe that's the perfect metaphor Unless you listen to it digitally, like I did, in which case that doesn't work at all. But <laughs> but Mike still thinks in vinyl, remember? So yes, um, I'd say if you have an interest in no effects as people, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd say read the book because you get all of them in there, and then listen to this album because some of the stories you'll be familiar with because they get talked about in the book as well, mm-hmm. but. I think I think Mike got very sick of people thinking that he was a we we all saw what happened when Tom DeLong very earnestly said, "Oh yeah, as well as doing this song about doing a fart on a girlfriend, I also 
know that aliens exist among us and and are trying to communicate with us and 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 all this stuff and people are like and then you did a poo on them no 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 they just exist and then and then, <laughs> and, and then you then you jerks off right no 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 you know so maybe <laughs> that thing of being earnest about something you genuinely believe and hold dear is something something that uh, people can treat you uh if you've if you've got this caricature that people know mm-hmm. you as maybe maybe and that's what the masking is and all that stuff so hmm. maybe or maybe it's just a set of stories the saddest stories he could think of and he thought i'm going to be a clown and do it i don't know i don't know. <laughs> but if you know if write you, in let if, us know absolutely um i i'd be interested really interested to know what people think about this because yes i know even big fans of no effects some of them have, have a very hard time with fat mike as a guy <laughs> so yeah fair enough so did this make you think differently about him did this make you like him when you thought he was a dick or think he was a dick when you previously liked him what what happens punk rock elite podcast that's gmail.com and we will all be seeing you in the outro we will yeah and we've arrived in the outro lovely heavy stuff it was it was heavy this one yeah well, actually, surprisingly, not heavy for a NoFX album, but you know, <laughs> the the subject matter has been a little draining. I hope everyone's okay. I hope you yeah. you know if if you have been affected by any of the things on this show, uh, we don't have a number, but no. you should probably talk to someone. We would recommend that. Absolutely, yes. Do uh, do reach out. There are places you can do that anonymously or you know without anything like that. So go and find them. Uh, it will do you some good. So, yeah, that was that was Koki the Clown. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We've got we've got some options, haven't we? Because we've got, uh, um, uh, you know, the way we're going to be doing stuff from now on. We still have some no effects related products. We do, yeah. But they're sort of interesting because we don't know how best to approach them. Because we've got, for example, we've got Fat Mike's musical Home Street Home. Yeah. That has an album, which is like a sort of concept album, I suppose. And then there is the show from, I think it's San Francisco, the live show that you can see on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So is that two episodes or one episode or or what? It's probably at least two, isn't it? Because Potentially. I think what could be fun is if I watch the, the, the musical, mm-hmm. I think that we should get... Uh, Kate on the show, oh, uh, yes. my fiance, because mm-hmm. she is a huge musical theatre fan, sure. knows a lot about musicals, and doesn't enjoy no effects. So I think that that would be a, a good um, keeping him. She, yeah. she would be a good barometer. Yes. Well, the <laughs> the thing is, is that uh, certainly on the album, I think Fat Mike only sings one of the songs. Oh, okay. Uh, which is that one on the no effect? Which is the one on Coaster? Come on. Yeah, Agony of Victory. Yeah, because no effects do that one. But in the musical, of course, he's not in it at all. It's all it's all like music. Oh, that's interesting. It's all musical theatre types. The it's oh, like cool. a proper proper musical. Matt Skiba was supposed to be in it, but he couldn't do it night after night. He was supposed to be the cop. But um so yeah, uh, that would be interesting because it is 
people who were just as comfortable with sort of high kicks, jazz hands, tits and teeth doing yeah. songs about doing, you know, playing street punks and stuff. Um, so and then we've got the peer pressure series that will be continuing. You know, yes, there's a um, new one of those coming very soon. Uh, which would be adjacent sm- albums and bands to when no effects broke i guess we're doing 1994 yes because yeah. we're 30 years from 94 that ties into something else we've got coming up we're getting so close to being able to tell you about this shit i promise you um <laughs> so uh but i'd also subscribe to the midlife punk podcast if you want to uh be sure to cover all your bases for that there you go mm-hmm. there's a, an extra little breadcrumb uh along the way so there's going to be that. The next one we do, it might be next week, it might not be, uh, is Smash by Offspring because that was another 1994 super hit for the punks. Yeah. Um, and uh, any others? If there's any 1994 albums you feel we should be covering this year, punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com. And also we've got, we, we, we can't shirk it anymore, Red. Hepatitis, Bathtub and other stories. We need to do their, uh, need to do their book. Yeah, we do. Yeah, and that's oh, it, it's long, isn't it? It's like twelve. I've got the audio book, and it's twelve yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is quite long. Uh, we'll probably be cutting that up into little bits. Or yeah. is that some? Is that something you'd you'd like us to cover? Something to discuss? Are we having a book club? Are we going to be? You know, is that something? Should that be a, a separate bonus series for our super special friends? Probably not, but you know, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, we ain't there yet, but let us know what you'd like. And we're going to be doing, we're going to be getting interviews. We're going to be doing all sorts of stuff um, as well. So uh, look out for all of that. Thank you so much, Red. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you. No problem. We'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Punk Rock Elite. It was a pick scraped and fruitcake co-production by Eddie French and Red Redmond. If you're not following us on Instagram or subscribe to the podcast, please do. The main theme and production was done by Eddie French. Please contact us at punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.